This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and I'm Mark Warner, today along with Chris Lietza from the Hockey Writers and GetRealHockey.com, and now a permanent member of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're going to look at our last division in the National Hockey League as we get ready for the 2015-16 regular season. We will be looking at the Pacific Division, and maybe at the end we'll be giving out some predictions, picks, and just general thoughts on how the season is going to go. We're skating on the ice. There's already been quite a few exhibition games so far, and there's some things that have already stuck out to me. Uh, I'm going to see what Chris is thinking about. Chris, good morning, sir, or good afternoon, where you are. Good morning to uh, the West Coast. Good afternoon to the East Coast, yes. There you go. Hockey games have started, and before you know it, the regular season will start. Absolutely. Can't wait. I'm getting fired up for it now. We had the the football start and the baseball's winding down and hockey's getting ready to fire off. Always always a great time of year uh, here when we get to the fall, except this week. Looking at our weather forecast here, we're going to be back up to 100, 506 for all of the next week. So it doesn't feel too much like autumn here. Um, but that be the case, they are skating. The, the league is, is back in play. So we're going to get things started. We have uh, our look around the league here. We're going to go with three shots from the point. Number one, I'm looking at as we start play for the 2015-16 season, they've already instituted three-on-three overtime, and they've forced it into a couple of games just so the teams will get used to it, whether it was tied at the end or not. Um just from keeping with our Pacific Division theme here, Tyler Toffoli tipped in a hat-trick goal, even though they were already winning 4-2 to two, uh, at the end of regulation. And then the following night, one of the rookies for the Kings deflected a Christian Ehrhoff shot in three-on-three overtime to win the game with a minute 23 left. So both, both games that I've seen the three-on-three in Looks to be pretty good and exciting. Uh, it did decide both those games without going to a shootout, which I think, I guess, is the the goal of instituting three-on-three overtime. A lot of empty space, a lot of open ice. You should have a nice display of the high-end talent in the league every time they go to a three-on-three. What was interesting, the first game, uh, the Phoenix squad took a penalty, and one thing to notice when they go to a penalty, the other team adds a player, so it turns into a four-on-three format. Um, and then if it's getting real close to the end, you could see if you have an offensive zone face-off four-on-three, you could pull your goalie and go to a five-on-three. Uh, pretty risky, but if uh, you're looking for excitement, there's potential for it there. Have you seen any of the three-on-three, Chris? And if so, what do you think of it? I haven't, actually. I've... Uh... Uh, I've read about it. I've uh, listened to other podcasts, get their take on it. it, it to be honest with you, uh, it's kind of, it's very hard to see too many games going to the shootout. Um, you know, I have to. You know, I'm going to have to see it, especially in, uh, obviously when the regular season starts. And I guess there'll be a, you know for the teams and the fans to transition to it. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time to, to how we feel about it. Um, I, you know, I know a lot of people don't want the shootout, and the league doesn't want a game to end where there's not a winner. So we have to we have to figure out something. 
um, in terms of the three-on-three. I did read that I believe the Bruins played in one, and one of their youngsters scored like 12 seconds in to the three-on-three. I mean, nice. obviously, you know, missed shots on goal could lead to a quick breakaway. The other, it is really hard to see how a five-minute three-on-three is going to wind up leading to a shootout. Obviously, anything can happen in sports, but I, I'd be surprised if nine out of ten of these games didn't result with a three-on-three deciding, uh, you know, who wins. So, that's to see how it's practiced in the regular season. It's teams going to have to have to practice it. Obviously, it's a new layer, just how they used to practice shootout. Um, probably take away a lot of the shootout time in practice to uh, towards this. So, well, wait and see. I, I, I understand, you know, and then I, you know, I understand where the league is at in terms of going back two years ago, why the instituted shootout overtimes weren't exciting because teams, especially if a team was a slight underdog or an underdog in a the game, they wouldn't play very defensive. So you didn't have to protect that point to protect the time. So uh, you didn't have exciting overtimes uh, to boot. Uh, plus, you didn't have a winner. You know, you had a tie. You know, one and you know. But you know, the downside is, uh, of course, uh, but it's the same for everyone. Is we have all these three-point games now. So right. Um, you know. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll wait and see. It, it, it should be exciting if people like offense. Obviously, three-on-three situation. You know, if you beat your man, all of a sudden uh, you got a wide-open situation. So. Uh, it, sh- it should lead to some fun hockey and things of that nature. Um, uh, also, too, I-, I just thought of this off the top of my head. Um, has the, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure the league has announced it, but I- I- it's just one of those things with everything going on. Uh, the stats, so let's say the Islanders are playing the Rangers, and uh, uh, it goes to overtime, and they have a three-on-three, and John Tavares winds up scoring a goal, and he's assisted by Strom and Boychuk. Will those stats be part of the league stats, or will they be viewed like, you know, a, a shootout goal when someone scores on the shootout? It's not part of their regular goals. Do you, do you know? That? I, I'm not sure of the answer to that. To be honest with you, I, I believe the stats will count, but I also okay. I don't know that for sure. I've seen it on a couple blogs where they some people were worrying about whether the snipers in the league were going to have artificially inflated goal stats this year because of that. So that led me to assume. That yes, the stats in three on three would count, but I, I can't say I know for sure what the NHL rules on that are. A um, couple other yeah, rules they're they're going to institute this year is the first the first look at instant replay in a few instances. Have you seen? They have a coach's challenge that they're going to institute, and also they'll be able to review on a puck over the glass delay a game situation, they'll be able to review whether it was actually deflected or not. Have you seen any of that put into play yet? Because I have not. I haven't as uh, as well. We'll have to see how these these new rules uh, come into play. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, I think it's limited, correct, in terms of the code, what they can challenge. I mean, uh, yes. uh, Goalie goalie interference, I think, is the main challenge. Um and I believe I saw they were going to be able to review an offsides, but I don't know if that actually passed because if if there was a questionable offsides, it would be like having to restart play with, at that point and anything that happened after that wouldn't count. Um, so I don't know whether that one passed, but I know you they'll be able to throw a coach's challenge out on goaltender interference. Yeah, I mean, I guess the danger there, just thinking out loud, is uh, – 
you know, you don't want to have these stoppages of play. I mean, obviously you want to get the call right, but we're going to wind up challenging these situations that are just like, you know, we watch it when we watch the NFL, like just too hard to call. We're sitting around for seven or eight minutes. I know this is going back a few years with the NFL. That is not something they wanted. They wanted these challenges to be reviewed and they, but be done quick, quickly. So if it's a case of, you know, hey, look, we've looked at this. It's too close to call. Seen in baseball now, too, as well. We don't want to, you know, our game to be sitting around, everyone sitting around for 10 minutes waiting for someone from the video booth. So, uh, you know, obviously we want to get all the calls right, but, you know, I, I think the lead should be very careful with these situations. Yeah, they're going baby steps with it. I, th- I think they'll also be able to review a, a little broader on whether a, a goal was scored in a legal manner. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was a game, uh, Kings-Red Wings, where a Red Wings player took a shot from the point in the last minute where the Kings were winning the game, and it deflected off Justin Williams' stick and went up off the netting, bounced back in play off Jonathan Quick's back into the net, and they ruled it a good goal. Um, and instant replay was not allowed to be used to overturn that. Funny thing about that is the Red Wings won that game in overtime, so instead of having two points, the Kings get one point. Well, at the end of that season... Um, the Kings and Canadians were tied in the standings and the Canadians were in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Kings were in the Western Conference Finals and that one goal would have decided home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup Finals because the Canadians would have won the tiebreaker. So I, th- I think they've expanded the use of replay to al- determine whether a goal was scored in a legal manner to... Uh, as a Kings fan, I was pretty nervous about that. We ended up playing the Rangers and winning the Stanley Cup. But imagine the role reversal had the Canadians won the Eastern Conference and Montreal ends up with home ice for the Stanley Cup Finals based on one disputed goal uh, in December. It would have been... <laughs> could you imagine? Yeah, no. Um, I, like I said, I think it's a great tool for them to have. But... Uh, uh, I, I don't want to, uh, I, I'm just a little leery of how much we're going to be reviewing. You know, the main thing is to, if we're able very quickly, is just something was missed and it was an egregious play, but we can fix it, and uh, that's what they All right, well, let's uh, let's lob one more at the net, hoping for a deflection. Uh, good getting on to point three. Uh, rookies. From the draft, obviously, the two highly touted players, Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid, they come out, they both score goals in their first games. They look pretty solid. Um, Good start for the young rookies. Uh, Eichel didn't play last night. Um, Then there's a few other... A few other rookies, but for the for the highly touted boys there, they look pretty good coming out opening opening night and scoring goals. Uh, future's bright there. What a what do you think of some of the other rookies? I haven't really had a chance to catch up on any of them. Have you got any juice? Yeah, I, I would say you know for most you know it's the rare player at 18 years of age, both from a physical standpoint, from where his game is at, uh, both you know from skill to, you know, all defensively, you know, being able to ha- handle the life at 18 years of age of being a pro athlete, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot to be compressed, a lot going on there. Um, 
So I, I would be, if I was uh, running a franchise, I'd be very leery of, uh, unless I felt like, okay, Jack Eichel, yeah, there's no doubt. You know, uh, Connor McDavid, there's no doubt. Because even as much as they're their size and their skill and all that, and they have the right temperament, it's still not going to be easy. You know, even if you have all those boxes checked. So, you know, For sure. and also, too, teams that are rebuilding, like Toronto with Mitch Marner and Arizona with Dylan Strom, uh, I'd be extra, extra careful. I mean, I can tell you from this side of the country, you know, a few years, a couple of years ago now, I guess, but maybe a few now, you know, the Islanders had Nino Nino Ryder, not as first year, but his second year of junior eligibility, and it was kind of a tough call. He was ready, and they kind of force-fed him a bit, and it, it didn't work out well, and, you know, eventually got traded. I mean, last year with Edmonton, uh, Le- Leon Drycycle, uh, you know, same thing. They they had him make the team, didn't have the greatest of years, you know. So I, I think you really have to feel like uh, if you're running a team, these guys are giving us no choice but to tell us they're ready, you know. Uh, it's a lot easier, yep. uh, I'll give you a case close to home here with the Islanders. It's a lot easier when you have, you try, the Islanders have uh, their two best prospects, are Ryan Pulak, the defenseman in the 2013 draft, and Michael Del Paul from the 2014 draft. So it's a lot easier for the Islanders. Uh, if, if it's a tough call, what do we do with Ryan Pulak? Uh, we want him to make the team. Well, you know what? Let's have him start the year with the Sound Tigers, because, you know, you know, you know, we don't have to worry about the junior uh, eligibility uh, situation, and let him get his feet wet down there, and then come late October, whatever, early November, whatever it may be, and then we'll call him up, no problem. But when you have Michael yep. Cole and you have only that nine-game tryout, and you know, if he winds up sticking with the team, you're like, oh boy, you know what? He really wasn't ready yet, and we're trying to do something special this year. How are we going to give him his minutes? We can send him to the AHL. So I think you have to be very careful uh, with that. And I, I think you saw the Flyers do that uh, yesterday with both. And, and, and from my understanding, they both look great. And Travis Konecki and Ivan Provolf, two, first, two of their first two first-round picks from uh, this past draft. Uh, but they're looking at the forest and not the trees. So I think more organizations have to do that. And, um, you know, so the only other major... Uh, prospect story, or if you will, top prospect story, a rookie, top rookie story, was here on Long Island with Josh Hosang, who apparently... I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, uh, you know, did not you know, set his alarm. I mean, literally, the Islanders started practice, I think, nine uh, last week, the first day of practice, 9 a.m. or 9.15, and he's in the hotel sleeping, and everyone's on the ice. Yeah. And not to mention that I believe for that practice, look about missing a golden opportunity, they were going to have him play with Tavares and I believe either Arndus Lee or, or Ryan Strome. Um, Ouch. Yeah. So then uh, Garth Snow gave him some very tough love. Uh, they had him go to, uh, I, I think I read he went to the Coliseum and ran the stairs for three hours. Uh, which is like kind of old school, and then when that was done, yeah, they her Brooks, yeah, that, when that was done, they said you're going back to the OHL. You know, well, you, you're, that's nice. your, your training camp is over. And the Islanders, well, that's the thing with being being 18 years old. Like you were saying, you have to have the physical skills, but there's the maturity factor that comes into play. Is are you able to be a professional? Uh, right out of basically high school, really, can you come in and be a professional and 
in addition to being having the talent, in addition to developing that talent into National Hockey League level skill, you have to also be uh, mentally developed and able to turn it into a job and be professional and be on time and yeah, get out of bed and and get to work when when the time shows up. So yeah, as far is, as being I, 18 years old and ready, the, there's a lot of different things that that call into account when you're trying to be a professional in any field. Uh, I think what I read was I, I think he expected someone to wake him up. I, I, I mean, you you know, it's first day of training camp, you would think you would have those ducks in a row again. Uh, you know, I was 18, you know, not a number of years ago, or 19, actually he's 19, he's still a teenager. But you would think, he's, he's also an adult, you would think he would say, hey, so how does it work for tomorrow? You know, where do I have to be, you know, for catching the bus to go to the practice? Uh, you know, what time, you know, is someone going to, you know, you think you'd have your ducks in a row. John Tavares and commenting sure. on it didn't bury him, but just basically said the first day of his training camp with the Islanders, like, I think he had, like, Six alarm set, you know. I mean, like he he couldn't barely sleep the night before as it was, but he was, you know, made made sure, um, you know, he he had his ducks in a row, and so he was he was up at the proper time to get ready and to be on time for camp. So um, the island is still very high on him. He's one of the top uh, prospects in hockey. He's one of their top prospects, um, and he's you know still a kid, uh, and hopefully he'll learn from this. Uh, uh, needless to say, the uh, Gord Snow and the Island organization weren't happy, and um, but uh, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll, this will be a very you know because he got embarrassed too. I mean, it was all over uh, not just the local media, obviously all over Canada, and he, you know uh, maybe I'm not saying fairly, but uh, you know the reason he slipped in the draft was he he had a reputation of being. A little too flamboyant. I'm trying. I'm trying not to use. You know, I'm trying to use the right word. You know, people were worried about some of the stuff. They knew he had a lot of skill, but there was some other things and uh, you know, maturity so, questions. Yeah, basically. yeah, that's probably the best way to say it, the maturity level. And Snow said, you know, enough is enough, and time to grow up. And the Islanders showed him a lot of tough love, which respectfully, but showed him a lot of tough love. And I think that was definitely the right way to go. And um, yeah, so. That's what happened. He, and he wasn't making the team anyway. He was going back to junior. But, again, that's not the kind of impression you want to you wanna leave. But, uh, you know, hopefully this will be just, you know, a funny story for, uh, for a few years from now where he's producing for the Islanders and, and something he, he can learn from and others can learn from. All right. So those are our three shots from the point to start this episode off. We're going to go ahead and start start our Pacific Division preview. Um, pretty strong division. Last year put three into the playoffs here in the West. Um, defending Stanley Cup champion Los Angeles Kings eliminated. In the last week of the season, Winnipeg and Calgary taking the wild card shots. Uh, Pacific Division regular season champions by eight points clear of the surprising Vancouver Canucks. The Anaheim Ducks finished with 109 points. For a team that had a 3-2 lead in the conference finals and a Game 7 at home, one game from the Stanley Cup final, they went through a surprising roster overhaul, um, letting go five, six players, 
most notably Matt Bolesky with his 22 goals and eight goals in the playoffs. Had a real strong playoffs. Kyle Palmieri with 14 goals, 15 assists. Uh, Emerson Edom, one of their younger guys that I know just from being down here that they were hoping for a lot more from him when they picked him up. Uh, born in Long Beach, local kid. They were hoping for a lot more from him, so he gets a fresh start. Um, Francois Beauchemin, who's been a mainstay on their defense, is gone, along with James Wisniewski and his $7 million cap hit. Uh, not really utilized by Bruce Boudreaux in the playoffs or or even later in the regular season after they picked him up. So probably wasn't in their plans. Um, they did bring in uh, a little bit of offense to replace those players. Chris Stewart brings 14 goals. Mike Santorelli, 12 goals, 21 assists. Sean Horcroft comes in, 11 goals, 29 points. And Carl Hagelin, I think, most notably brings 17 goals. So whatever offense that Bolesky and Paul Mary uh, depart with, I think they've more than replaced and they also added a solid second pair defenseman in Kevin Bieksa. Um, what do you think of, of the roster overhaul there in Anaheim? And and was it really necessary being that close to the Stanley Cup Finals? Yeah, I, you know, I love, I'm a big Cole Hagelin fan from, uh, you know, uh, from seeing him play for the Rangers um, over here. Um, he's got a, like I said, I keep using the term, but it's true. He was just a winning player. You can help your team in so many different ways. Uh, I think that was a tremendous pickup. Uh, just giving up a couple, even though this was a really good draft for you know a couple of tra- uh, draft picks, and Emerson Needham, who seems to be, you know, is going to take some more time at best if you make if you can break out of being a complimentary player. Um, you know, you know Matt Bolesky, uh They know him better than anyone else. He had a career year at the right time. And they decided to, you know, save their cap money uh, and not go after him. So they know him better than anybody else. So I can't blame him on that. You know, they basically replaced it, replaced uh, Boschman with Bolesky. So they, you know, they made some changes, you know, to their team. You know, reading up about the Ducks, there, were, you know, uh, from a statistical, from a certain stats, uh, I think they would blow you away. Uh, in the regard of, you know, they were first in the Western Conference, as you mentioned, last year. Um, they were just a couple wins away from being first overall in the overall of the NHL. Having said that, if I told you that they were 11th in goals, goals scored per game, their defense was 20th in goals allowed per game, their power play was 28th, and their penalty kill was 15th, you would say, what? How is that? How is it possible for those four main categories to be one of the best teams in the NHL? And you know, outside of goals per game, which they were just outside the top ten, uh, the other categories were either you know middle of the pack or you know bottom third or near the bottom. But this is a very very key stat and one that uh, rears its head uh, with a couple teams in the Pacific. In one goal games last year, the Ducks were 33-1, and they lost seven games in overtime, which means they still got a point. They were 33 wins, one loss in regulation, one goal games, and then they had seven overtime losses. Um, so that, jumped, that number jumped out at me. Um, so 
that kind of you know kind of made it you know. So this is a team to be honest with you. When you look at those stats, uh, has room to get get better. Believe it or not, when you have 109 points, you're like, well, how much better can we be? The team uh, you know has a chance to get much better. Um, they have a lot of you know young talent. They have the young goalies. I think that's the big question, right? I mean, Frederick Anderson had a really good year, but John Gibson, who's the former number one prospect of all of hockey, how is it all going to work between the two of them uh, going forward? Who's going to wind up being their their, goal, their number one goalie? So um, that that brings me to one of my my three points on this team is they brought in Anton Kadobin to back up Frederick Anderson, so that seems to push. John Gibson back to the AHL for another year, and Frederick Anderson, uh, I believe he was fastest to 50 wins in NHL history. Actually, well, I could be wrong on that, but I believe I believe that's true. And but what what it comes down to? Uh-huh. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say about what it comes to. Could could have been the one thing I would say about him is. You know, keep in mind, they did trade with Newski in that deal. So there's, there was a lot of salary cap implications in that trade. Kudeman's only, to get rid of with, with Newski, they had to take on Kudeman, who signed for one more year. So if, if Kudeman is clearly the third goalie, it wouldn't surprise me if they had Anderson and Gibson as the main two. But even still, with those two young goalies, you know, in an ideal world, not that you want to play one of them 65 games, like we were talking about last week with, uh, with uh, Brandon Hol- uh, with, uh, with Holpe. Um, right. You know, but at the same token, you want to just play them 40 games each? Is that enough work? Then do you know who your number one is? Um, but they're both really talented. So, you know, it'll be a story. It'll be a st- and they're both still very young, especially Gibson. I mean, Gibson is still... I'm just looking at it here. I mean, he's born, he just turned 22. So, um, so if he needs to refine his game a little bit in the AHL to start the season, uh, that, that's okay. But, you know, the Ducks are a team, uh, you know, they're going to be one of the top contenders in the West. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And I do like their, no, I no. do, I mean, I do like their offseason moves and, and, uh, Lindholm, their defenseman, a lot of people predicting, you know, not that, uh, He's been really good already, but this could be a breakout year for him. I remember he's only 21 years For sure. Age. Well, they've in the playoffs, and it's been a caller around Bruce Boudreaux's neck for a while. Two years ago, they lost a home game seven to the Kings, and last year they lost a home game seven to the Blackhawks. If, I mean, this is going to combine my, my points one and points three. Um, for this team, really a successful season, you win the Stanley Cup. I don't think anything less. It, I think anything less is a step backwards for the franchise, and I think it would put Bruce Boudreau on the hot seat at the end of the season if they come up short. Um, I would. What do you think? I would temper that a little bit from the standpoint of. I think they needed to represent the West. Uh, for the Stanley Cup, like agree from that standpoint. If they play a strong series, let's say, in the Stanley Cup final and lose a long series to the Tampa Bay Lightning or a top team in the East, I mean, I can't. I mean, it's you know those kind of series. There's a lot of good teams in the East too. I, I you know I can't kill them. I think what I think what is the part that is hard to swallow about last season 
it's not the fact that they lost. I mean, they got to the. They did take a step. Unlike the Blues, like the Blues and the Ducks have been top performers in the regular season going into last year. They both had great regular seasons last year. But unlike the Blues, the Ducks at least took a big took a big step in their development in terms of the playoffs. They got to the Western Conference Finals. They lost to the Stanley Cup champions. Now the you know the three time champions in recent years, the Chicago Blackhawks. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I mean, obviously, you want to win the whole thing. The problem was, for me, was their performance in Game 7. I mean, that game was over within the first few minutes of the game. And it, and it just seemed, mentally, they were not able to handle a, that Game 7. Um, you know, the Hawks, from the, from the opening drop of the puck, I mean, just, they knew they were going to win, and the Ducks didn't have any belief. They were the, yeah. They were the better team, and yeah, that's how it. Appears. Two years ago, and, two know, years ago, the Kings came in there and and did the same thing to them. Right. As soon as uh, as soon as that game started, the Kings were all over them. I think it was a five two or six one, or it wasn't close. the The Kings came into their barn just the way the Blackhawks did, and that's what worries me uh, about seeing Anaheim go any farther. Is um, and I don't think I don't think Getzloff and Perry showed up. I mean, I'm not I'm not a uh, well, I guess I am calling him out. If your if your best players aren't going to show up in your be- in the biggest games, that's a problem. Um, yeah, the, when you look definitely at, the last two. When ga- you think of the, uh, the Ducks and you think of their core, you think of Perry, Getzloff, and Kessler. Uh, you know, Kessler is in his early thirties, and uh, Perry and Getzloff, I think, are right around thirty. Believe it or not, it seems like just yesterday that they they were uh, you know youngsters in this league. So, uh, yeah, Perry t- uh, just turned 30 in May, and um, and Getzloff, same thing. They both turned 30 in May, so um, they actually were born like a week apart. So, we're not talking about a couple of 22-year-old kids, and they haven't really solved the riddle of Game 7. And obviously, the team goes a lot deeper than, even though they're the core of the team, but, you know, everyone else on the team, as well as the coaching staff. But that is... That is probably you know a little alarming. Is that, and both games were at uh, the, uh, both games are at home, right? The Kings game was also in Anaheim. So that correct? Correct. Yeah. So that yeah. So that, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to have your whole nice advantage for Game Seven. So that is uh, that is probably the you know the most concerning thing, and it is a concerning thing. Um, I, you know, be that as it may, I still think that last year was a strong year for them because they they did have. Up until that point, they, you know, they, you know, again, it was three three against the Stanley Cup champions, and we all throw accolades at the Blackhawks. So, you know, you have to give them credit from that standpoint. It's just that game sure. seven was just, uh, it was a, it was a really rough game. It's the second time it's happened in two years. So, uh, they need a breakthrough. They need now to take that next step and at least get to the Stanley Cup Finals. And again. They play against the Stanley Cup Finals and, you know, play a great, like the Tampa Bay Lightning. We look at last year. You know, I thought they played a strong series. Could have won either way. They lost in six. You know, maybe they'll get better from it, you know. Um, so I'm not going to, you know, beat them up about it. So if the Ducks can get to the Finals, play a strong series and a long series, and they come up short, not that that's what their fans' whole station is looking for, uh, you know, I still think, you know, it's very hard to win the Cup. Only one team does. So that would be my point about that. But they have to take another step, at least. 
Otherwise, you could see a lot of changes. Like we saw in Vancouver over the last couple of years, uh, going on to the second-place team from a surprising, one of the most surprising teams in the league in the regular season, in my opinion. Um, the turnover that they had two years ago in their front office and the coaching staff, um, Kessler going, I mean, he was one of their probably top three players when you get past the Sedins to him. Um, and now you lose a top four defenseman in Kevin Bieksa. You, you really only brought in Brandon Suter, Sutter, sorry, um, Eddie Lack, who, who at one time allowed them to trade Luongo and Schneider. Um, he's gone now. So was last year smoke and mirrors for this team? How did they get to the second overall spot in the Pacific? Hello? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Mark, say that one more time. Oh, I was uh, I was just saying, Vancouver finished up with, with uh, the number two seed in the Pacific, and after all the turmoil they had gone through previously, was last year a smoke and mirrors type season, and they look to take a, a step backwards now? Yeah, they, I, I have to say that last season was a, bit a surprise to me with the Canucks. I know they signed Ryan Miller, um, you know, who, uh, you know, uh, we miss Tommy here. He can talk a lot about Ryan Miller. So, uh, but they were surprised to me. Um, you know, they got off to uh, some memories of correct, a really great start and just, you know, build upon, build upon that. Um, having said that, it's hard for me to see them duplicate that this, this season. Um, I think they're trying to get younger, um, but some of the moves that they've made, they've actually added some age. Um, the last couple of years, I love. I'm a huge fan of Brandon Sutter, and it, not because his father is Brent Sutter, who's the played on two of the uh, Islander Stanley Cup champion teams. I just love his two way game. I thought that was a terrific move, picking him up from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's going to sorely miss him, um, yep. and they signed him to an extension as well. I think Brandon Prus will give them uh, will give them a little uh, gumption, if you will. Um, you know, we'll have to see what happens with Jacob Markstrom, who's a former top prospect in terms of, you know, it, it, where they're going going forward in terms of net. Obviously, Ryan Miller will sign for two more years, so he'll be carrying the mail. Um, but, you know, this was a very good team offensively last year, both both on even strength and, and on the power play. They had a great penalty kill unit, uh, but they were almost like the bottom third in terms of goals given up per game. So, um, and they had a rough first-round loss to the Flames as well. So uh, there was a number of games that they had leads that, that went away. So I am, uh, you know, if you said to, you know, the team that's probably going to have the, the biggest down, uh, da- downfall, if you will, in terms of point-wise from last year in the regular season to this year, I would bet on the Canucks. Um, I, I, I do, you know, they, we still, they still have the Sedine Twins. There's there's not a lot of players in this roster that you know uh, I see as you know I I think they have a lot of work to do is what I'm trying to say. I'm a fan of Paul Horvath. I think I agree with you. I'm, I'm a fan of Paul Horvath, but you know, and you, let's keep in mind last year was his rookie year. Uh, but you know, 
he's got to he's got to improve to be considered a top six forward. Was picked ninth overall in twenty thirteen, and that was the pick that they got for Corey Schneider. So that that was a big trade. So I think they need to get a little bit better across the board. The Sedin twins are, believe it or not, uh, getting a little bit older now. So that's something to yep. watch as well. So I mean, they're they're thirty five now. Believe it or not. Uh, they'll be 35 in two days as we speak. So, um, yeah, I, I can uh, I could see this year being a uh, a bit of a transition year in Vancouver. Well, the big question for me, and and you mentioned the was it Jakob Markstrom came in at, to be their backup. Can Ryan Miller, and he's a year older now too, and was coming off injury last season. I think he's going to have to play 65, 70 games and be a dominant force, i.e. Ryan Miller's Olympic goaltender 2010, um, for this team to make the playoffs. Um, phenomenal goalie. Uh, one of the best goalies in United States hockey history. I don't know if he can still carry the mail for 70 games a year, and I don't know if the Jakob Markstrom is going to be a type of goaltender that could bring him back to 55-60 games and keep him fresh throughout the later part of the season. And the other teams behind him got better, in my opinion. Um, Calgary for sure, Kings for sure. Um, this could be a step back for Vancouver, I think. Mark, um, I could barely hear you. Let's go. I'm going to call you right back. I could barely hear you. I could call you right back. Oh. Okay, and with that, we're almost ready to look at the Calgary Flames, exciting young team. Any more points on Vancouver? Yeah, my last point about them is, uh, like uh, Anaheim, they were tremendous in one-goal games. Uh, they were 22-4-5. and five. So, you know, very easy, you know, that's a tremendous record. Very easily, you know, those 3-2 wins could this year, you know, be, you know, 3-2 losses. And I don't mean it will go from, a you know, but... 22-4-5 and five on a one-goal game is such an impressive record. If they were to, you know, I'm just thinking out loud, you know, if they were to go, you know, 18, you know, 10-6, and six, which is still a very good record, that would be, a you know, a decent reduction in its own right in terms of the amount of points. So uh, I don't want to say a high-wire act, but and, and that's saying something, too. It's a positive to have such a strong record in one-goal games, and, and they also were very strong in overtime. So, um you know, those kind of games can go either way. You know, maybe one year you get a little bit more puck luck than, than other years. So, um, I, but I, like I said, I do believe that this year is going to be a transition year for the Canucks. I, I agree in as much the same way, but the opposite. Last year, Calgary had been predicted to, you know, with all their young guys, maybe, maybe try and get into the Connor McDavid sweepstakes, and they ended up beating the Vancouver Canucks in the first round in what I thought was the best series of the first round. Um, fantastic hockey in that series. A lot of physical play, a lot of, lot of offensive upside, a lot of talent. Um, and to me, they don't lose too much. They lose Rafael Diaz and David Schlimko, but uh, they bring in Michael Froelich, Sam Bennett, and Dougie Hamilton. Um, that team looks to be... And they re-sign Mark Giordano. Right, who's who, uh, an extension. coming off injury, but he looks to, I mean, bringing the captain back, he looks like he's going to be good to go here. Um, not too many. The only question I had about this team 
and it was much talked about as they made it to the playoffs was their their coursey ratings their fancy stats if you will um they were near the bottom of the league in that and still made the playoffs and still outed the vancouver canucks and put up a little resistance in the second round but uh took their exit um I look for them to be even even better than they were last year. What do you think about the Calgary Flames? Well, it's funny, you know, we, we a couple of podcasts ago we were talking about Tom and the Buffalo Sabres, what to expect, and I think you know what we were saying was this is going to be a much better team, meaning the Sabres for this year. But you know, if they could have a year where they come on the periphery of the playoffs and they kind of hang in there, and then last month they kind of slip away a little bit and then build for the following year to take that step. That's what people were saying about the Calgary Flames this time last year, uh, and 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 the you know then you see the season that they had. Not only did they wind up making the playoffs with a very impressive regular season, they actually won around in the playoffs. Um, you know, one thing that jumped out, which again is a good thing, but again kind of shows you how close teams are, how easy you know a team who can finish with you know close to a hundred points could easily finish, let's say, around ninety points and. Um, you know, in terms of the Flames last year, reading about them, uh, they they were incredible in the third period last year. You know, they were tied for the most goals in the third period, and they had 10 comeback victories. So, you know, you could see, like, how easily where they finished in terms of total points that they, that they you know, could slide back a few points this, this year. But having said that, um, adding a Huggy Hamilton... To me, they did not lose anyone significant off their roster, and they're adding Dougie Hamilton. They're adding Michael Farik, who I think is a great all-around player. I agree. Kind of the call, kind of a in the call Haglin mode, if you will. And you know, Sam Bennett, you know, came to the team, uh, I believe, after injury, you know, towards the, the last few games, and then played in the playoffs. So, you know, they, you know, they're going to get deeper. The the only warning sign I would have for them is they are a young team, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of expectations, you know, now um, because of the great seasons they had last year. How do they handle that? You know, um, I, I feel like they're in the right division in terms of, you know, you got, this division is very top-heavy, and then after that I don't think there's going to be a lot of things for them to worry about. So I expect a very productive season out of, out of, out of them. Uh, this is a very exciting team. Um you know, so you know something to watch for Yuri uh, Hurdler. Oh, what a great season last year is on his walk year. You know, so how are they going to handle certain things with their you know youngsters and more veterans and make it all work with the salary cap? But um, and then who's their number one goalie? Is it going to be you know both Hill, both Hiller and uh, Carrie Ramo uh, also both on last year their contracts and they're unrestricted free agents at the end of the year, which is interesting. Too. So who's going to wind up stepping forward to be their number one goalie? So, um, but a lot to be excited about this team. They showed a lot, a lot of prowess. They came again. What they did in the regular season, when I talked about those third period comebacks, they did it to Vancouver last year as well. I mean, if memory serves correct, Game Six at home didn't Vancouver jump out to like a three nothing lead and the uh, Calgary wind up winning that game? If memory serves correct, um, uh, something along those lines. So the, you know, they they show a lot of tenacity. And um, they got a lot, a lot of good young talent as well. Yeah, and, I mean, Johnny Hockey is uh, only looking to get better. 
Um, Bennett did have a breakout playoffs coming back. I I think I'm, I like watching Calgary Flames hockey. They're exciting to watch. They may not uh, they may not astound you if you look at the the Corsi numbers and the fancy stats and the puck possession stuff, but their their brand of hockey is really fun to watch. And bringing in Hamilton for a leak, getting a full season out of Bennett, um, and if you know down down this down the center. Monaghan, Backlund, and Stajan looks pretty solid on the first three lines. Michael Furland uh, really stepped up for his team in the playoffs last year. When, as Calgary will, and I made this point last year in our in our playoff preview, um, when Calgary gets down, they get outside of their their identity, if you will, and they try and goon and they try and overly play physical, which I think takes away from what the Vancouver Canucks' strengths are. Um, which is speed skating, scoring, offensive skill side. Um, and Michael Furland came to the fore and defended his teammates every opportunity he had and scored a couple big goals for this team. So he looked, if he can step up a little bit more as he did in the playoffs last year, I think that's another player to watch for this team. I like, I like, uh, I like this team. I like where they're headed. I like the youth. I like the brand of hockey they play. Um, both goaltenders should be able to, if they split time, or I think they want Kerry Ramo to step forward and and uh, grab the reins there a little bit. But uh, if if he doesn't, Jonas Hiller certainly proven himself as a starter in the National Hockey League. So I like I like where Calgary's going. Little little hint on where I might place them as we do our Pacific Division picks here at the end. Um, but with that. Los Angeles Kings, the first, oh boy. the first defending champ to miss the playoffs since I think it was 2006, 2003 Hurricanes, I believe. Um, obviously, the story around the Kings coming into the season is a lot of it off ice drama, if you will, with. The Richards incident, the Slava Voinov incident, the Jarrett Stoll incident. Um, the Kings traded away their 13th pick to the Bruins, losing backup goaltender Martin Jones. Justin Williams opts to sign with the Washington Capitals instead of returning. Um, the real, Really the first major overhaul of some of the veterans on the team since 2010, 2011, um, they've largely returned their roster intact after winning their Stanley Cups and going to the Western Conference Finals in, the, in between. Um, the, my question is how you lose, I mean, those three players, and I'm a big Mike Richards fan, don't get me wrong. Uh, wh- whatever happened with him, I just wish him well. Without bringing Mike Richards in, I think it changed the culture of the franchise, and I think without him, the Kings do not have two Stanley Cups. Um, with that said, you lose a huge part of your leadership group with Justin Williams, Mike Richards, and Jared Stoll officially gone now. Um, the Slava Voinov thing's resolved itself with him returning to Russia voluntarily. Um, and you have you did bring in Milan Lucic, who I think will step right into a leadership role, and I think he'll step right into first-line first-line minutes next to Kopitar and Gabrick. 
um, and deservedly so, being a 30-goal scorer, uh, premier power forward in the league. He had a off off year last year, but he himself said that you kind of you kind of get to the point where you're re, you know, not relying on your line mates, but you're comfortable with them. And with the injuries to his line mates last year, I think that was a big reason why his production slipped, and he thinks so as well. I think he fits great on this roster and the brand of hockey that they play. But there are question marks. Third line center, fourth line center, Andy Androff and Nick Dowd spent time with the big club last year. Uh, Dowd centering third line through a Jarrett Stoll injury. Andy Androff taking time at the fourth line center spot. Um, signing Christian Erhoff here late in the summer. I think maybe not replaced, but fills the shoes of Slava Voinov and the departure of Andre Sakara. Um the question is, can the rookies who won the Calder Cup last year step in and compete for those roster spots vacated by the veterans and make a significant contribution? Uh, they did sign Jonas Inroth, um, who I really liked as a, as a goalie there in Buffalo. He's, he seems to be a pretty solid pretty solid backup to one of the best goalies in the league, Jonathan Quick, obviously a strength of the franchise. Um, wh- what do you think about the, the turnover on the roster? Is this... Is this a step forward or a step backwards for this franchise? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like what the Kings, I mean, they had some turnover this offseason, to say the least. I'm a big fan of Justin Williams. Um, you know, considering, you know, that he's on a two-year deal for 3.25 a year, if I would have told you that, you would have said, oh, there's no downhill stay with the Kings. But, you know, they basically replaced him with a younger version, uh, a younger player, and, and Lucic, uh um, you know, but I think Tyler Toffoli is, you know, getting close to, you know, maybe even, you know, heading for superstardom. Um, I think Chris Steinhoff was a really sound signing, uh, as, as was Enroff. So, you know, I like what they, I think they're deep across the board. I mean, obviously their bugaboo last year was they struggled so much scoring goals. They finished 18th in the league at scoring goals. And I have to tell you this, Mark. Uh, overtime was not a friend today. Not at all. They went to <laughs> over. They went to overtime eighteen times, which is a lot of overtime games. It's almost, you know, it's closing in on a quarter of the season. Yes. And in those eighteen overtime contests, both you know, five minutes and the shootout, uh, they won three games. They went three of fifteen in those overtime games. I mean, you think about how. They just missed the playoffs last year. Two points, and you know three and three and fifteen in overtime. If they would have went just fifty-fifty, yeah, fifty-fifty, yeah, you're mean, uh, you're right there. Yeah, so uh, that is a real rough record. I mean, uh, I was just talking. We were talking before about Vancouver and Anaheim and those one-goal games. You know, those uh, you know, the Kings on the, on the other hand, which you wouldn't think. You think. Given the makeup of this team and what they've been through, their goalie, their coaching staff, uh, their defense, uh, they wouldn't struggle as much as they did in one goal game. Um, the other thing that jumps out to me is, uh, I tell you, Mr. Drew Dowdy is, uh, he is, uh, he must run triathlons because he led the NHL all last year in ice time and he averaged, uh, just one second under 29 minutes of ice time per game. Yep. Absolutely incredible. In the first preseason game this year, he played 29 minutes as well. Um, last year, the Kings were unsettled on defense for most of the season with the Slava Voinov incident. They had some injuries early on, 
and I don't think they ever really got settled on defense, which may be a reason they played 18 overtime games, is they were in the bend-don't-break mode and didn't, you know, Dowdy, when he wants or if he's allowed to uh, in the system, he can take over a game. He's one of the, obviously, probably one of the best three defensemen in the National Hockey League all around, and you might say he's the best with a puck on his stick. Um, it late late in the season when they were in their last gasp, I saw uh, Drew Doughty unleashed in a couple of the games down the stretch, and Tom, the Buffalo kid there, said he wished he hadn't seen that because <laughs> you, you wonder, is, is he leashed for the rest of the season or or what the deal was? I, I think... I think this year he's going to win the Norris Trophy. I'm going to go out on a, on a on a limb right now. Everything I hear from him in training camp, that guy's on a mission this year. And I think that the the tenor and the temperature of this team, uh, with their comments last year at the end of the season and this year in camp so far, I've heard is an embarrassed, angry club. They're better than what they showed last year. Now that being said, the year they beat the Rangers, 2012, for the Stanley Cup final, they had 95 points, got into the playoffs, and and went on one of the most historic runs, 16 and four in Stanley Cup history. Last year they finished with 95 points. So that overtime record is the bugaboo. Um, I think this year they'll have a little bit more solid, settled idea on where they're headed on on the defensive side. Um, you have some. Some youngins who who stepped in last year in the injuries and and the absence of Slava with Braden McNabb and Jamie McBain uh, look for one of them to secure a permanent spot. It, probably the needle kind of tips toward Braden McNabb right now because he's a hello. Hello, can you hear me, Chris? Are you there? I'm here now. Yeah, okay, great. good. I was I heard you the whole time. Okay. So uh, the last point I want I wanted to make uh, on the King was, and you know this better than anyone, Mark, is going back to their first Stanley Cup win uh, that season from uh, when they beat the Devils in the finals. i trying to remember, was that 2012? 2012. Yep. From that point through the Cup-winning year of two years ago now, you know, they've they've played a tremendous amount of hockey. And I, I mean, I have to think that caught up to them a little bit last year. And they were a little bit undermanned in terms of, you know, the off-ice situation with people and injuries and things like that. And I, I think at the end of the day, that caught up with them and was the reason they just missed the playoffs. Uh, I think going forward for this year, um, the bad news, obviously, was they missed the playoffs last year. The good news was they got a lot of extra rest. Uh, most uh, All these players did. So... Uh, they should be recharged, re-energized, and ready to, you know, be a top contending team for this upcoming season. I agree with you. There's two real questions I have on this team. Uh, number one, you have Nick Shore, Jordan Wheel, Nick Dowd, all competing to fill in some of the spots vacated by the veterans. And are they going to be able to translate their AHL success to the National Hockey League level the way, as you mentioned, Tyler Toffoli and also Tanner Pearson, who missed a good portion of last season um, with a broken leg? He's back in 100%. 
and he's very dynamic with the puck on his stick. His passing skills are, are fantastic, and him and Toffoli do have a great chemistry with Carter on the second line. If you look at their, their top six, if you go Lucic, Kopitar, Gabryk, Pearson, Carter, and Toffoli, it's not hard to say that they could have the best, one of the, let's say, top three, top six players in the league. Um, but as you get down into their third and fourth lines, can these youngsters step up? into the mold of what Dean Lombardi's built this franchise to be, which is a perennially contending uh, cup championship-level team. There is a dark horse. He's the AHL MVP and leading scorer last year, but he went undrafted. Uh, Brian O'Neill, if he makes the team, I'm real interested to see what he can do. They might put him down early, as you were saying earlier, is a pretty good strategy. Maybe keep him up if he makes that last cut get his nine games but i think his game translates really well to the national hockey league so he's someone who's maybe off the radar of people that may step in and play a a increasing role as the season goes on and uh number two can the youngsters on it's all about the youngsters now the a lot of the veterans are gone are they going to step up and i i like this team i i like where they're headed i i think lucic is big um I think the youngsters in the pipeline are solid and ready to come up. So that might be another another foreshadowing event of where I have the standings finishing up here as we get on get on with the division. We'll go to the San Jose Sharks. Missed the playoffs last year. Um, going through quite a bit of turmoil at preseason, getting the 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 C taken off of Thornton. Um, coaching change this year. What do you think? Where is San Jose headed? Hello. Yes, I'm sorry. Say that again, Mark. I'm just moving on to San Jose. Uh, they're going through, continuing the turmoil that started last season, uh, bringing in the, bringing in new coach, Thornton and Marlowe. They're they're both a year older. Are they going to be able to step up? Do you see this team staying the same, moving forward, or moving back? I am, yeah, I am not a fan of their old season. Um, I like to coach. Obviously, I know him well from coaching the Devils, Peter DeBoer. Um, I think he's a real good coach, solid. Um, to me, they kind of went all in to land that second wild card spot in the West. And, you know, they signed Paul Morton to a four year deal. He's 34 years old. The banking on. Uh, Patrick Morrow and Joe Thornton, who were either 35, both 35, ready to turn 36. Actually, Morrow just turned 36, and Thornton turned 36 this summer, so they're both now 36. Um, I like Martin Jones. You can speak to him a lot more than I. Um, he's a good young goalie, but we saw with some good young goalies playing in front of some strong defensive team in a backup capacity. And then a la Jonathan Bernier, and then go to another team and not have that kind of structure and give mediocre results. That's the they point I was going to make. For this, yeah, they gave up their first-round pick for this upcoming draft, which is not lottery-protected. And with the new rules of the lottery, which we hinted at at last, uh, last podcast, the podcast uh, with the ping-pong balls, you know, that, <laughs> that pick could be a top-three pick if the Sharks did not make the playoffs. And... You know, honestly, uh, given how strong the Central is, 
given uh, the, uh, the what we talked about between the Ducks, the Kings, and the Flames. I mean, on paper, you have to say that those three teams are stronger than the Sharks. Uh, like I said, I, I you know I feel they went all in for that second wild card spot. And quite frankly, even if they do land that that second wild card, I don't consider them a team that's really a cup con- you know cup contender. Uh, like oh well. Kind of like we said last year, the Blackhawks. The moment they get into the playoffs, they're going to be dangerous, which which is rightfully so. And we expect them to make the playoffs. I, I, I can't. I don't feel like the Sharks are in that boat. Uh, I think they're a good. I think they're kind of you know that good competitive team. They have some pluses. They have some hope, some young talent. Uh, you know, you know, obviously Logan Cordier. They got Thomas Hurdle, uh, Joe Pavelski. I mean, so they have some talent here. And you know, maybe you know some weak teams in the division and we still have to talk about they could take advantage of but I did not uh, you know it's one thing if they have the cap space to sign Paul Morton who's 34 to a four year deal and I, again I am a fan of Morton Jones but to give up a first round pick uh, especially with the new lottery changes uh, um, I, I think that could be a very dangerous move uh, going forward so I, I really didn't like their offseason. season they were kind of, in a, but to be fair, they were kind of their GM Doug Wilson, kind of in a tough position. It's like, well, do I do I go for it or do I blow it up? And um, you know, you know, but not easy to blow it up from the standpoint of, you know, Patrick Marlowe's got two years to go. He's thirty six. You know, uh, Joe Thornton, same thing, thirty six. Those are in salary cap age. Those are not easy players to move. So um, time will tell on their on their. Off season, but uh, I see some red flags. I was saying that with with Martin Jones coming over, you look at the history of some of it. You mentioned Jonathan Bernier, but also Ben Scrivens came to the Kings and helped Jonathan Quick win a Jennings Trophy. And then getting out of that kind of environment up into Edmonton, saw him struggling again. Um, and obviously, the Edmonton's defense core wasn't wasn't. I mean, let's be honest, not good. So it it remains to be seen whether Martin Jones can go out and be a number one, you know, a number one goalie in the in the National Hockey League. And like you said, giving up a number one pick for him, that I think that was uh, a small coup on Boston's part after giving up the number one to get him. Um, so they, I think they made and out. And, and don't don't get me wrong, I am a fan of Martin Jones. So am I. I like getting Martin. Jo- I like them getting Martin Jones, not for just this upcoming season, but for the future that they have their number one netminder. I just think they paid a very high price. You know, there are first-round picks and there are first-round picks. It's one thing if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, like last year, and you're like, all right, we're going to trade our first-round pick to David Perron. Worst-case scenario, it's going to be like the 16th pick in the draft, if you will, which it turned out to be, and that's what it turned out to be. In this scenario... I can see the Sharks very easily not making the playoffs. And with the new lottery system rules now, basically maybe the Sharks wind up being, you know, the 12th seed, if you will, or the 14 teams that don't make the playoffs. They're number 12. Uh, you know, in years past, uh, now they have three. They, that ping-pong ball is going to have three bites at the apple to win the lottery. So that 12th overall, uh, 12th from the bottom finish could wind up being pick uh, either one, two, or three. So, given those givens, it was an expensive uh, 
price they paid to land Morton Jones. I agree. I agree 100%. <coughs> Excuse me. I agree 100% with that. And, like, if you're getting a proven starter, maybe you do give up the number one pick. Um, but Martin Jones is not that, and I hope he is. I mean, to a degree, I have. But now that he's a, now that he's a Sharks, my personal loyalty is I hope he loses every game he plays to the Kings from now on, for sure. But, uh, yeah, we'll see, it. we'll see if that turns into gold or, or fool's gold for the Sharks. Um, really, that wraps up the teams that have a, a possibility of of making the playoffs in this division. Um, obviously, we'll go to Edmonton and Arizona. Who still a lot of work left to be done in both those franchises? They did score the Connor McDavid, and they did score Dylan Strome. So the the some of the pieces in place for both the respective teams. I did like uh, Chris Pronger going to the Arizona Coyotes. It's a great signing to bring in a Hall of Fame player. Um, well, that that just tells you where where Arizona's mindset is right now. I mean, in a nutshell, I think that sums up <laughs> that sums up where Arizona is as a franchise right now. Not not ready and just trying to get dead cap space and those kind of deals. I think I said before. That there has to be something done to keep that from happening, but uh, Edmonton, Darnell Nurse is coming up, Andre Sakara coming in. Um, their defense looks to be at least a little bit better if if Nurse can live up to the to the advanced press, if you will, and Sakara, the veteran, uh, probably overpaid for him, but probably had to. Um, again, I think Edmonton's going to be out. I mean, as you said, the new salary cap rules. Um, I think they'll be an improved club. I just, I just don't know how much. I, st- I still think that Edmonton and Arizona, long way to go. You got any specific thoughts on either one of those teams? Yeah, in terms of Edmonton, I mean, they're much closer. Obviously, it's been a long road for them, um, but they have a new GM in place, um, Peter Shrelly. Got a new coach in place in Tom McClellan. I think they're both excellent hires. I agree. Uh, this is this is still a young team. It's going to take a little time in the beginning. I would think of the season two. They need more structure. Um, they probably rushed some players, or in some cases, some players. You know, like Neil Yakupov. You know, had a tremendous. Uh, I believe his rookie year was the, the uh, lockout short year, and then he took a big step back after that. Um, so, you know, uh, I mentioned about uh, Dreisaitl as another one who had, you know, kind of, you know, making sure that they're looking at the forest and not the trees. They just uh, gave a rewarded Oscar uh, Kloffboom with a seven-year deal. Uh, it's one of those kind of, I mean, again, they're in Edmonton. I'm not going to tell you I've watched all the Oilers games. But, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, if you're signing uh, one of your young guys and locking them up, at a seven-year deal at four million per, um, you know that's that's a move that you're either going to look like a fool or a genius. So hopefully they they know what they're doing over there with that move. Um, and they have Dar- uh, Darnell Nurse coming, and they have Griffin Reinhardt coming. So they have two top young defensive uh, prospects coming. Cam Talbot will uh, most likely be the number one netminder. I'm sure he will be. 
with the picks that they gave up, and he's one year away uh, after the season. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. Given the picks that they gave up in last year's draft, one would think they're going to want to lock him up um, some point uh, during the season. So I see, and again, this is another team that struggled mightily uh, in overtime at 14. Well, I mean, not as bad as the Kings, but they, they went 7-14 and 14 in overtime, overtime slash shootout. So, uh, again, you know, we have to, when you look at the stats, 26th in offense, 30th in defense, 19th on the power play, 28th on the penalty kill. So, and they were bad in one goal game. So there's a lot of work still yet to be done. They got, like I said, they got talent. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Are they, you know, everyone expected this offseason for them, with, especially with a new regime, and to make a major move with one of those former number one picks, um, you know, Taylor Hall or Jordan Everly or someone along that, those lines. So that will be a story to watch for going forward. And obviously the arrival of Connor McDavid will make this a, a very fun team to watch. So improving. Uh, again, I know I hate to say this, Doyle fans, but to me, if you can have a consistent 2015-16 season and be on the outer edges of the playoffs going into the last month of the season, having a fighting chance, if you come up a few points short, I would call that a successful season for the Oilers. Uh, absolutely. That'd be a that'd be yeah, a, so, No one's down to the talent yeah. with this team. The, the Like you said, Everly, Yakupov, Hall, Nugent Hopkins. Um, growing into a second line center role, um, I think it comes down to wanting to play two way hockey. I think in today's National yeah. Hockey League, you have to play two way hockey. Um, I think Andre Kopitar, if he if he came back off his two hundred foot game, which perennially gets him nominated for the Selkie, and concentrated more on his offensive side. I don't think anybody would question that that guy has the talent to score 30 goals and 50 assists and pump 80 points, 90 points in. But in order to win championships, you have to reel that back in. And if you're a 20-point, 40-assist guy that wins Stanley Cups, I think you're better served. And this this offensive talent that they've definitely gathered in Edmonton, they I think this I think McClellan. And Chirelli are going to bring a culture of, you know, if if you're not playing two-way hockey, at least trying to play two-way hockey, I don't think you're going to be getting too much ice time up there from now on. I think they let him. Yeah, I think you hit the, Go ahead. I think you hit the nail on the head, and uh, and I think that the right coach, uh, needless to say, and Todd McClellan, that hit that home. So um, they have a lot of, like I said, they have a lot of young kids. It would be great if I said, we mentioned this, though, I think a few podcasts ago. You know, I think the Islanders really, uh, being from over here and following them closely, uh, landing a Johnny Boychuk uh, with all those young kids, I think, really helped so much with their development. And um, I know Sakara is a really good player. I don't know if he's the same kind of personality that Johnny Boychuk is, uh, but uh, if they can land a veteran or two in that vein, be it you know a forward or defenseman, kind of help get the most out of these youngsters and get them to re- relax a little bit more, and um, which I, I you know like I said, is a lot of contributions a player can make to his team, both on the ice and off the ice, and off the ice uh, helping his teammates as well, and, and you know sports 
let's face it, a lot of uh, a good portion of uh, top athletes is about confidence. So, um, and that's something. If I was the uh, Peter Shirelli's right hand man, is something I would say. I want us to find our Johnny Boy Chuck. I think that's a good point. Um, in terms of our, in terms of Arizona, uh, boy, uh, ooh. this is going to be a rough year. This Austin Matthews. Year. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, Austin I Matthews. It's a ping pong balls behave. Uh, I, I have to say, um, you know, they, they uh, their leading scorer last year was a defensive. And uh, Oliver uh, Ekman Larson, yeah, yeah, great and, player uh, too. Yeah, their second leading scorer is now in Philadelphia, Sam Gagne, and their third leading scorer, Shane Doan, who is only a few years younger than us. Ooh. So you know, we would trade for that those few years back at a heartbeat. I don't mean to speak for you, but in terms of the National Hockey League. Uh, he's getting he's getting a little long in the tooth, and their fourth leading scorer, Martin Erat, is no longer on the team. So they only had two guys to break forty points last year, um, to say the least. So offense was a problem. Although in researching the Coyotes again, like the Devils, I say, boy oh boy. Although I, at least in Arizona's case, I see, you know, you know, obviously Dylan Strom, top pick. I would, I would expect him, not that I ever read anything, I would expect him to go back to junior, uh, that he wouldn't be rushed. But I see I see some light. I see some light coming from the tunnel. You know, I see, you know, Max Domi is going to be on this team this year. And the Declare is going to be on this team this year. Two great uh, young talents, you know, for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I almost said Ryan. Dylan Strom, I, I expect to deal with Arizona maybe next year. So, I can, you know, not some potential top talent there so i could see some some you know and then we mentioned about larson you know so uh, so i could see some positives but it was interesting remember we were talking about the devils and how bad they were how bad their forwards were how bad low they were in scoring last year but i, I think they I, if memory serves correct they had the eighth best power play and we were shaking our heads about that say so, wait a minute how can a team like the islanders in the wild both who have a number of offensive weapons both who score goals and, and they're like, mid, and they found this case. They were middle of the pack of the power play, which was underperforming, and the Wild was the bottom three. But yet the Devils were eighth on the power play. Well, it's the same thing with the Coyotes. They were seventh on the power play last year. Now, having Keith Yandel for most of the season last year and Larson probably had a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Just seeing here, Larson had 10 power play goals. But, um, you know, again, this team is very challenged. Uh, when you finish 29th in offense and 28th in defense, you know, you're challenged. So uh, this is going to be a rebuilding program. And it is going to take at least, it's going to take two, three years to, to get this uh, ship going. And hopefully they'll pick well to draft uh, Austin Matthews, who is from the, where, where is he? Is he from Phoenix? He's from Scottsdale, so. Okay. You know, especially how the ping pong poles did not behave to them. Uh, last season uh, to land either Eichel or McDavid. You would like to think that the hockey gods uh, will reward them with Austin Matthews for everything that this franchise needs to go forward to have a local hero, if you will, a potential local hero come home to build around. So not that I'm saying Austin Matthews is in the same vein as Eichel and, 
and McDavid, although he looks like he has the potential to be a special player. So, you know, that's what this season's going to be about, the development of a couple of those young players. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of stopgap guys on their roster. Um, but this is going to be a rough team. I mean, uh, we mentioned I mentioned in the last podcast, I feel like the three worst teams in hockey are the Hurricanes, the Devils, and the Coyotes. And I think the... I think the Coyotes is the worst. Uh, the the thing is, they're in a they're in a less formidable division than uh, the Hurricanes and the Devils are, in my opinion. So, but it's going to be a long year. One other one other player you mentioned, Max Domi, uh, old Samuelson's kid, Heinrich Samuelson. Uh, he's twenty one years old, and he had a good a good season for Portland last year in the A. He may also uh, they might bring him up just to bring him up and get his. Get him started. Um, 18 goals, 40 points last year. So playing with Max Dome, you might bring him up just for the familiarity sake of having the guys together. A um, couple bright spots, and they do have a lot of young young defense prospects coming up too. So not this year, boys, but uh, like like Chris said, two or three years down the road, Dave Tippett, I think. Uh, keep it, in mind. It, yeah. They have two first-round picks this year uh, off the top of my head. I know they have at least two, I believe. They have their own, obviously, and they have the Rangers from the Keith Handel trade. So, uh, More so they, talent they have, to come. You know, yeah, so they are doing it the small way. I mean, again, that's the Kai Gortzell in the back of the Islanders GM. But when he started his rebuild, he looked for every opportunity that he could to gather picks. Because it is very hard picking young players. And the more uh, the merry, I mean, I remember his first draft, you know, he, um, I want to say he wound up accumulating like 13 picks, just grabbing picks wherever he could, trading down, up a dra- from trading down at the draft to trading players. And, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't like every pick hit, but, you know, he landed Travis Hamannick in the second round as an example, you know. So uh, the more picks you have, the more chances you have of, of finding people. And um, so Arizona has followed that format. Uh, uh, Don Maloney, the ex-Ranger and the ex-Islander, ironically, ex-Islander GM as well, um, has followed that format as well. So, And then we have all the off-the-ice issue, which we'll have to see how it all works out with Arizona. But um, it's, you know, it's going to be a tough year for them, unfortunately. Yep, I agree. But, but the future is bright, and just for the record, I think they end up staying in Phoenix. They they did uh, sign their lease agreement. So being being a Phoenix born guy, I don't like to see any any cities lose their team. And at least for the next couple of years, they're locked in there in Phoenix. So or Glendale, excuse me. Um, so at least at least at that point, I I I like to see that um, go out. Get in your cars and get out to Glendale and watch some Phoenix hockey. You got a lot of young talent. Watch them grow up and get behind them and support the team. That's the only way you're going to keep them. Um, with that, that about yeah, hopefully the, go ahead. And hopefully the franchise and hopefully the franchise will be smart about coming up with different promotions and different ticket. You know, when you have a bad team, you have to do certain things sometimes. I mean, I can tell you this, and I, I don't want to raise high on the pom poms too much, but you know, uh, you know, but just to give an idea, you know. You know, the Islanders had a promotion for many, many years during this rebuild that uh, for 100 bucks uh, they pulled it, you know, and they had a number of these games, especially on the weekend, like a family four-pack. For sure. And they did it, the only thing they didn't include was parking, but 100 bucks 
mom, dad, two kids got tickets. The kids got something to eat, something to drink. Uh, they got vouchers for something to eat, something to drink. And each kid got to pick out like a some kind of trinket slash toy, like a puck or or what have you. Get him a foam so finger. Uh, uh, yeah, so, ba- so basically, you know, as a family, you say, you know, it's not just about the ticket prices. We're going to have, you know, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have to give him some meat, some drink. All that was included, you know, except the parking and the parking at the Coliseum at the, uh, at the time wasn't too bad. So, so basically, you were, you kind of had core certainty. Just like the owners want core certainty, the customers want core certainty. So they need to, when you're a bad team and you need to get people out, and get excited and, and, and you know, also get them to come out and then have them be a fan for the next, want to be a fan for the next few years in terms of coming out. So uh, I think when you're in those kind of positions, you need to be creative and uh, and do things like that. Almost a minor league mentality when you're having, you know, mid- midnight skate with the team or, you know, reach out into the community with, with stuff like that. And, and I know that Arizona does... You know, their players get out into the community, get out into the rinks down there, and and they need to continue doing more of that. Um, and you're right. It's going to be a tough year in Arizona, but I think their future, you know, they got a lot of young talent. They need to get it together. Um, that's going to finish up our uh, 2015-16 Pacific Division preview. It's a great job, Chris. Great job. We can get into... Uh, Let's get into our predictions here. Where do you, where do you see this division shaking out? Yeah, to me, this is the easiest division to predict. Me too. Uh, which probably means um, I'm going to be dead wrong. So, um, <laughs> For sure. I'm going to get uh, the uh, way off. Uh, but uh, well, me, you know, hey, you know the the adage here in Vegas is if everybody's betting one side, bet the other you usually end up winning that way. So we're both saying it's right. going to be easy to pick, and we're probably going to be dead wrong. But go ahead. Right. So um, I see a battle for first place between the Kings and the Ducks. Um, I'm going to go with the Ducks uh, to win the division. Um, again, for those two franchises, you know, it's going to be about, you know, what they do in the playoffs. Uh, but having said that, I see the Ducks speaking – Ahead of the Kings to win the division, Kings will have a strong, very strong regular season, and he's finishing second. I see Calgary finishing in the third spot. Um, I, I think, especially possibly towards the beginning of the year, um, there's going to be a lot of expectations on Calgary, and they are a young team, which I mentioned. So it's just something I could see them not to get off to a terrible start, but you know they they might. They might hover around 500, if you will, in the beginning of the month of October and before they take off. So those are my three teams. Uh, the podcast that we did on the Central, I had the two wild cards being, uh, memory serves correct, uh, I think I chose, uh, I know I chose Winnipeg. I want to say I, oh, I chose Chicago as well as my two wild cards. So uh, in terms of the rest of the division, uh, I see San Jose kind of, Competitive, a little bit more competitive than Colorado, but um, you know, maybe with about two weeks to go, you realize they're going to fall short in terms of making the playoffs. But I expect them to be competitive throughout the year. But I do not see them being a playoff team. And then the remaining three teams, uh, you know, we have Vancouver, 
we have Arizona, and we have Edmonton. Uh, I think Edmonton's going to be the best of those three. Um, I don't think they'll be a serious challenger for the playoffs, but I think they'll have a, a very good developing year. And I think the Canucks, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they finished in the bottom five. So uh, in Arizona, I think, is the worst team in the league. So, yeah. Uh, so that's my or bottom seven for Vancouver. This way, you know, somewhere along there, five through seven, somewhere along that kind of range. So that's kind of how I see the division. Like I said, I actually think this is the easiest division to pick, which probably means I probably everything I say will not happen whatsoever. But that, those are my predictions. Yeah, I would. Uh, I agree with you on the top end. I think that I think Anaheim wins the uh, division. That's it. I think Anaheim wins the division again. Um, their their roster and philosophy is more suited to be a better regular season type club. Um, with that said, I think the Kings bounce back super strong this year, angry and embarrassed, and look for him to take the ice with a big chip on their shoulder this year. Um, fighting fighting Anaheim all the way down, but I think Anaheim does get it done. Um, Kings, Kings with a good solid second place. They'll get home ice in the first round over the Calgary Flames, who I also agree are going to be the third third place team in this division. I think the their I think in their growth pattern, they're they you know they made the second round of the playoffs last year. Um, I, I don't see anything they did taking a step back. If anything, I think they step forward and may may even push the Kings for that second place. I think Kings and Flames. May finish closer than the Kings and Ducks. Um, that might be too bold of a statement, but I really do like Calgary. I like the way they play, um, and I like their young guys. Um, I, I have the Canucks falling back, but maybe not as far as you do, finishing fourth outside the playoffs. Um, they still do have the veteran. The Sedins and riding Verbata is, is a fantastic first line. A little bit older yet, and but still... I, I like them to take a step back out of the playoffs but not fall all the way down, maybe as far as you have them. And then Sharks, Oilers, Arizona. I think the Sharks stay about the same, 78, 80 points in the standings. And then, you know, Oilers, Arizona at the bottom. Keep your head up, fans. That's, Both teams have music. a lot of young talent, and they'll be coming soon. That's music to Bruins fans' ears. <laughs> you have the uh, Sharks, Sharks finishing around 78, 80 points. That's that's kind of where I got them. Okay, well that uh, that wraps up this edition of the Pacific um, thoughts for the thoughts for the season going forward. And yeah, do who, we want to do we want to uh, not go through the playoffs, but do we want to make our prediction for maybe the Stanley Cup final? Do it, or do we want to? Yeah, um, give, give give me give me a list of three things you're going to watch for this season, uh, short and sweet, because uh-huh. we're running out of time. And then give me your finals prediction. Uh, three things. Well, three or, things or one or two. Okay. Okay. Steven Stamkos. Been a lot of rumblings lately. Um, how that's going to play out? I mean, at a certain point, if, if there is going to be a, a change with Tampa, I, I mean, I can't imagine Tampa is. Again, we talked about that short list for who's going to win the cup this year. Tampa's on that short list. You know, even you know, at the end of the day, if they go for it this year, they come up a little short, and Stamkos walks. Well, t- 
teams have to realize is salary cap, uh, you know, money coming off your books is an asset. And there's a plenty, plenty of top free agents. We just saw, we didn't even discuss it. Eric Johnson signed a free agent uh, extension for seven years, forty-two million. Yes, he did. Plenty, but there's plenty of guys out there uh, that will be out there, so they can reinvest that money in somebody. Um, so that's something I'm kind of keeping keeping an eye on. Uh, to me, there is so what is fascinating to me about this season is there are so many teams that literally have have a chance to have a special season. Um, you have those A-list teams, and then you have those kind of, I wouldn't even see, say B-list, I would say A-1-list teams, if you will. Um, so I, I think we could be in for some surprises this year, and a team that we think is a really good team and moving forward, and all of a sudden they're in the Eastern or Western Conference Finals, and maybe a couple, maybe even representing their conference in the Finals uh, that we don't, we don't think of. And then obviously, you know, the impact that Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid is going to have on the sport this year as rookies. I think, uh, I, I mean, when's the last time we had two talented young players like that uh, entering at the same time, uh, two rookies at 18 years of age? So those are three things uh, jump off the top of my head uh, watch out for. Um, in terms of the Stanley Cup final prediction, I'm going to go Tampa in the East to represent the East. And to represent the West, I'm going to the state of California, and you know who I'm talking about. Give it to me. That's right. The Anaheim Ducks. Oh! oh. <laughs> I, 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 see, uh, I see Tampa and Anaheim, and uh, I like Tampa to take it all. Well, and I'm going to... And folks will go, out, will go out in the sunset, and on July 1st, we'll find the biggest hockey contract ever with the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> that's that's a bold prediction. Well, my three to watch this year, and uh, from the West Coast, the Kings have the same same contract uh, issue with their best player, Andre Kopitar. And the the most recent reports were not close, but not worried. Andre Kopitar said, "Plenty of time to get it done. Don't have any problem negotiating this season." He's downplaying it, and he's doing a very good job of it's not going to be an issue. It's not going to be a distraction. Um, definitely, definitely, I think that deal goes the I mean, you're predicting Stamkos to the Leafs. Maybe that's uh, Eklund E5 from Chris Litza. But uh, I, th- I think Kobe's going to be a king for the rest of his career. Dean Lombardi, great general manager. They'll get that deal done. They're, they're just working it out. But I do have my eye on it, being a Kings fan. Uh, number two, I'm going to go right where you did. Uh, really excited to see McDavid and Eichel come into the league. And uh, it gives me, since this is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, I I think that depth of talent from this draft kind of puts, get, gives argument to the expansion and the ability of the league to maintain a competitive quality with that kind of, and again, the Oilers have great young talent. The Flames have great young talent. Arizona Coyotes, believe it or not, they have great young talent in the pipeline, and so do a bunch of other teams around the league. Um, and those two guys and the depth of this draft um, brighten my thoughts on on parity and and overall league strength. With what I'm going to say, our two new franchises joining the league in 2017-18, with our friends in Quebec City and here in Las Vegas getting new teams. So with the, with that depth of talent, I'm real excited to watch those two guys play. 
And I'll speak for Tom saying that's one of the things he wants to see this year too is how Jack Eichel fits in that Sabres uniform. And then number three, um, since it since it is so much in the news, I am uh, I want I want to see how the Patrick Kane thing plays out. If if he does get charged with a crime and does not play for the Blackhawks this year, I'm going to say they miss the playoffs entirely. And that will bring uh, the Canucks or Sharks back into it, or the could could we have five teams? We already have five. Uh, so that, that I mean that could that could strengthen the battle at the bottom end of the Central as who gets in and who gets out. Because without Patrick Kane, given all the players they lost, I think Chicago misses the playoffs entirely. And I, I, I hope the right thing gets done. I know when you politicize things and you start playing trials out in the media, it tends to become a circus, and that's what I unfortunately see happening with that oh, with that whole mess going on. Um, and then if, if he... I, you know what? That's that's where I'm gonna leave it. I'm not gonna go any farther. Um, I hope the right thing's done for all involved. We obviously don't know what happened, but I hope that they can put aside some of the circus atmosphere of it, and for the victim's sake, find out what really happened. If there was a victim, get her the justice she deserves. And if not, then maybe Patrick Kane deserves some justice uh, on the backside of that. Um, so with the unknowns and that, I do I do gotta agree with you on Tampa Bay. Although the top of that Eastern Conference with Carey Price and whoo, the best goaltender in the league last year and probably going forward, and the New York Rangers, the veteran, the experienced club that they have, Washington Capitals, I think took a step forward. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, any one of four or five teams could actually come out of the East when it comes down to it. Um, but I think I think the confidence that Tampa got um, with their young players. I think they take a step up and become the number one overall seed in the East and go through the playoffs and lose in seven to the Los Angeles Kings who come out and play an angry, embarrassed, chip-on-your-soldier brand of hockey um, all season long and roll through the playoffs. And that's, that's the homer in me speaking, but it could happen. So, Kings fans, I'm with you. And that's that's going to wrap up most of our. Uh, uh, if I get to say one last thing, I just don't sure. understand. And also, uh, and I'm sure you're in the same boat as uh, on this one to watch out for is you know getting the final word of Quebec and Vegas becoming part of the NHL and getting ready for the uh, what would it be the 2017 2018 season? Do I have that right? Yeah, that is correct. 20- 17-18 season, and I think during the course of the season, maybe probably before even the holidays, we'll get the word on that, and uh, you know, and, and then by the end of this season, even start to talk about, you know, the expansion draft process and all that kind of stuff, so uh, I think the league is heading towards 32 teams, so that's something to watch out for as well. Woohoo, that's another thing. That's... Uh... That's my one. That's my number one thing. It, the, the the latest I heard was the the announcement could come uh, around December twentieth. So um, Christmas in Las Vegas, baby, bring it. We're ready. Yep, and in, and in Quebec. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah, and our friends in Quebec. Well, Chris, great job today. Great job as always. Um, we got the East the same. Going to differ a little bit on the Western Conference. 
representative in the Stanley Cup Finals. And as the season gets underway, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back here in a week or two and carry it on through the season. We're going to keep it going. So, Chris, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got to get Tom back, and uh, it should be it should be interesting and uh, a lot of stories out there to watch. And uh, uh, like you said, hopefully this Patrick Kane one will. Uh, the truth will come out and justice will be done, whatever that is. So, But I, I do think that this is going to be, a, uh, again, last point, um, something that's going to go on for a while. Well, all right. It's going to take a while to get to its conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks a lot, fans. You can email us at uh, markwarner at vegashockeypodcast.com. Tweet us at vegashockeypod. And you can follow Chris at the NL King on Twitter. Also look for his writings at thehockeywriters.com and getrealhockey.com. If you're an Islanders fan, check it out. He's got a lot of good Islanders Islanders uh, content that he blogs about over on those sites. Chris, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. And we're gone. Good.